It's Father's Day. I, I love all the different holidays. Uh, but you know there's a difference between men and women. It's just built into the woof and wharf of who we are. Uh, on Mother's Day, every mother, her greatest desire is to have her family sitting there in church with her. On Father's Day, his greatest desire is to have his wife serve him breakfast in bed. That's just the way we are. We're designed a little differently. In fact, on, on Mother's Day, they have more long-distance calls made than any other day of the year on Mother's Day. On Father's Day, more collect calls are made than any other day of the year. That's just the way it is. This morning, I'd like you to turn in your Old Testaments, if you would, to the 23rd Psalm, Psalm 23. And uh, most of you, how many of you are familiar with Psalm 23 at one time or another? How many of you ever memorized it when you were a kid? A lot of people did. Um, Psalm 23, and we're going to take a look at it from a little different perspective this morning. In your, out, in your um, worship folder, there is an outline, and I'd like you to take that out and keep it. You can fill in the blanks today, but we're going to use it in a couple different ways. And so I want you to keep track of that, if you would, and I'll explain a little more later. But King David was the original Renaissance man before the Renaissance by about 2,000 years. He was a poet, a musician, a warrior, a king, and a scholar. He was, in the words of the Bible, a man after God's own heart. And he was, as we see in the stories of the Bible, a man subject to weakness just like we are. I think that every Christian can identify with King David in one way or another. I think we all want to be men and women who are after God's own heart. But we also know what it means to fail, to to fall from time to time. And like King David, we can also experience God's grace and mercy in our lives every day. Of all the great things that David witnessed in his career and accomplished in his life, it was the job that he held as a teenager that uh, most influenced his outlook on life. What did David do as a teenager? He was a shepherd, exactly. He took care of sheep, and that made an incredible impact on his life. At some point in his life, David sat down and, and wrote a personal creed a statement of his faith and purpose for his life. And in Psalm 23, and this may have been done while he was living in exile, running away from King Saul. It may have been when he was on the battlefield, or it could have been when his son was in rebellion against him, Absalom, or during the season of repentance after sin with Bathsheba. Maybe he wrote it during a time of victory. Maybe he wrote it during a time of defeat. But whenever he wrote it, it has become the most well-known and often repeated passage in the entire Bible. Psalm 23, the one that begins, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. It's a beautiful psalm. In fact, it's it's a literary masterpiece. But the words of this psalm are greater than just poetry. They are words that we can live by. It's such a simple psalm that anyone can learn it, anyone can memorize it. In the Hebrew, there are only 55 words. In the different English versions, it'll run from about 118 to 120 words. It's only six verses in length. 
And this morning I want to begin just a new series through Psalm 23. And so for the next five weeks, we're going to take a look at this psalm one verse at a time. I want us to try to just absorb the wisdom of this text into our daily lives. And I want to encourage you to memorize one verse a week. And so let's start out with verse 1, and everyone say verse 1 with me. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. How many of you have that memorized now? Okay, we're on our way. Only five verses left to go. But let's begin by reading the entire 23rd Psalm. And we're going to read it and study it from the King James Version because that's the one that just is so familiar. But let's read it together. In fact, I want you to stand for the reading of God's Word this morning. If you can, let's just stand and read it together. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For thou art with me, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil, up runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen, and please be seated. Today we're going to look at verse 1. As I said, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Now, when David says, the Lord is my shepherd, he's basically saying that we, you and I, are the Lord's sheep. And this metaphor is found throughout Scripture. In Genesis, Jacob referred to the God who has been my shepherd all my life to this very day. You see it in the books of David. You see it in the prophets. For example, Isaiah said in Isaiah 40, chapter 11, He shall feed his flock like a shepherd. He shall gather the lambs with his arm and carry them in his bosom. And he shall gently lead those that are with young. And you see this idea in the teachings of Jesus himself. For example, he said in John chapter 10, verse 11, I am the good shepherd. And the good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. And then you jump just a couple of verses to verse 14. And he says, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep. And my sheep know me. And the first thing that we need to realize is that it may be a beautiful analogy, but it's actually not a very flattering one if you know anything about sheep. Sheep are completely helpless. They're defenseless. In fact, they're completely unable to take care of themselves. And the truth is, sheep are not very smart. That's a nice way for saying sheep are basically dumb. You know, a a herd of wild horses may be dirty, unkempt, and yet uh, they can live on their own. They can take care of themselves. They can survive by themselves. You'll find packs of wild dogs that run rampant, and they can live on their own. They can take care of themselves. When I was young, I, I lived out in the country, and we had a lot of animals out there, but we also had a number of cats on the property. And it was interesting. We never had to worry about how these cats survived. They took care of themselves. They always found food for themselves. But you 
when, well, let me ask you, when was the last time you heard about a, a predatory flock of wild sheep roaming the countryside attacking other animals and humans? You just don't hear about that. That's because sheep are, by nature, just dependent. They need a shepherd. So when we say, the Lord is my shepherd, we're also saying, I'm helpless. I'm dependent. I really can't make it on my own. I need a caretaker. But you know, that's not the image that we like to project of ourselves, is it? I mean, we don't much like to say, the Lord is my shepherd and I'm his helpless little lamb. We prefer to say, the Lord is my general and I'm his warrior. Or the Lord is my coach and I'm his quarterback. Or my favorite is, the Lord is my co-pilot. So that puts me in charge and I'm on the controls and he's simply a good helper. You see, this is the kind of picture that we like to paint, but that's not what David painted at all. He paints one of weakness, of helplessness, of total dependence. You see, the nature of a relationship between the shepherd and the sheep is that the sheep don't go out looking for the shepherd. The shepherd looks out and looks after the sheep. In fact, back in the book of Ezekiel, we read these words from the Lord. For this is what the sovereign Lord says. I myself will search for my sheep and look after them. Just as a shepherd looks after his scattered flock when he is with them, so I will look after my sheep. I want you to know this morning, friends, that God is looking after you. I don't care who you are, where you've come from. It doesn't matter whether you're kind of wandering around in life, clueless as to what's going on, oblivious of his presence, and you don't have an idea about him. He is constantly looking for you. He's seeking you. In fact, Jesus told a story about this kind of a shepherd and how he was this kind of a shepherd. We read it in Luke chapter 15, verses 3 through 6. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Does he not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one lost sheep until he finds it? And when he does find it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. And then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. His listeners in that day totally understood that story. You see, in those days, many flocks of sheep belonged to the community, not just to one individual shepherd. A lot of them came together, and they would go out together during the day, and they would look for good territory where there was grass to feed the sheep, and the different flocks would be there together. Evening came, and they would bring their sheep back to the sheepfold, but every once in a while, one sheep got away. And so even though all the other sheep were in safe there in the sheepfold, one shepherd was out on a hillside. Well, the people in the community knew what was going on, and they would gather together, and they would look out on the hillside just waiting until they saw that shepherd come over the hillside, and there on his shoulders would be that sheep. And they would celebrate when he brought it back and put it safely in the, in the sheepfold with all the rest of the sheep. And Jesus said in Luke chapter 15, verse 7, I tell you that just like that, in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. 
You see, this is the kind of tender affection that God has for each and every one of us. He watches over you. He cares for you. He takes care of you. He looks out for you even though you don't have a clue that he's around. He, he seeks us. But, you know, even with that, there are a lot of people who question. I mean, he's watching out for me. I don't see it. I don't feel it. Where is he? Have you ever said something like that? To be honest, I have at times. And you know what? It's just like a rebellious sheep to say something like that. Especially a sheep that's kind of wandering by his own. Out in the wild, facing the elements, in danger of attack, hungry, afraid, cold, and disappointed. Thinking, look at the mess I'm in. Where is that so-called good shepherd now? I want you to know where he is right now. He's looking for you. If you've wandered off, he's looking for you. If you've made some mistakes and just really bombed out in some area, he's looking for you. If you're alone and afraid and, you know, you can be in a crowd like this and sitting with a lot of people and yet you can feel totally isolated and alone. And I want you to know he's looking for you. And if you've lost your way somewhere along life, he's looking for you. But you have to listen for the sound of his voice. But he knows you by name. In a sheep-shepherd relationship, the shepherd is the one who's in control. He takes the lead. He assumes the responsibility for the safety of the entire flock. And because of this, the really cool thing about this is the sheep don't need to worry about the day-to-day stresses of life. Now, if you could actually just sit down and have a conversation with a sheep, you would never hear that sheep say, I'm worried about the future. I mean, you know, it's true that we had enough food today, and, and it's probably true that we'll have enough food for tomorrow, but you know, there's only so much grass in this world, and, and it's bound to run out sooner or later. And I don't know how long that we can continue to just count on this water, still water thing as well. We need to get organized. We need to do some long-range planning. In fact, I heard that not too far from here, there's another pasture, and there's a flock there that's only half our size. You know, I think we can take them. So let's get busy. We need to look out for ourselves. No, you'll never hear a sheep say something like that, because they know that the shepherd is there, and the shepherd is going to take care of them. And this is why David was able to say, The Lord is my shepherd, therefore I shall not want. Or as the New International Version says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want. And David is talking about contentment. And it doesn't come naturally to us, friends. Our natural human tendency is to be in want. You see, our natural human tendency is to look for the next best thing that's coming into our lives, to remain dissatisfied with our current state, even when our current state of affairs is pretty good. We always seek after that something just a little better, that something that's perfect, that we think is going to make us content. But you know, how many of you have discovered that you had been waiting for this thing and when you finally got it, it was full of holes and flaws and it just didn't last that long? Ted Turner 
in an interview with Barbara Walters a number of years ago, said, in the end, success is an empty bag. And that's why Solomon said in Ecclesiastes 5.10, Whoever loves money never has money enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with his income. We always want just a little more. You see, our fallen tendency is basically toward discontentment. But the sheep and the shepherd's flock have a luxury of experiencing true contentment because they know the shepherd's in control. By the way, have you ever thought about what the first step is normally as we commit sin or do something wrong? Discontentment. You can go all the way back to the Garden of Eden and what happened there? Eve became discontent. And you can think about when you made a wrong choice and you were probably a little discontent in that situation and so you moved on and tried to figure out how you could do it on your own without God's help. And today, I want to talk about how we can be what I would call a little sheepish. In other words, like sheep in our approach to contentment. I want to suggest three simple ways to develop I shall not want lifestyle. And it's as simple as this. Let me give you just in closing, and it's not going to take that long, three different attitudes that we need to strive for in our life. First of all, look at what you have, not at what you don't have. Look at what you have, not at what you don't have. You know, when some people look at their lives, and you don't have to be really old to do this. You can be young. When they look at their lives, they see only what isn't there. I don't have a husband. I don't have a degree. I don't have a boyfriend. I I don't own a home. I, I don't have a job title. All they see is what is not in their life. And then when they look at what is there in their life, they don't see it for what it really is. They only see it for what it isn't. For example, I have a house, but it's not the house of my dreams. I have a job, but it's definitely not the ideal job. She's definitely not a perfect wife, and we'll just move on from there. (laughs) But the focus is all off. Focus on what you have, not on what you don't have. Enjoy things for what they are in your life instead of looking at them and always thinking, oh, if I just had a little more or if I just had a brand new model, it would be better. This habit will take you a long way in living a life of contentment. Here's the second thing that I I want to encourage you to apply to your lives. It'll make you be a little more, quote, sheepish. Measure your life in terms of blessings, not possessions. Measure your life in, in, in terms of blessings, not things and possessions. A man was in the midst of a financial crisis in his life. He was going to lose everything, he thought. So he went to his pastor for counseling. He said, I've lost everything, pastor. And his pastor responded, well, I'm sorry to hear that you lost your faith. And he said, oh, no, pastor, I didn't lose my faith. And the pastor said, Well, then I'm sorry to hear that you lost your character. He said, no, pastor, that's not what I said. I didn't lose my character. And and then the pastor said, well, I'm really sorry to hear that you lost your salvation. No, no, pastor, that's not what I said. I still have my salvation. And the pastor said, so you 
You have your faith, you have your character, and you have your salvation. It seems to me that you haven't lost anything that really matters in your life. You know, when we look at the stuff that we accumulate, some people just do a better job of accumulating stuff than other people do. But no amount of stuff can replace the intangible blessings that we have in our lives. That's why Jesus said very clearly in Luke chapter 12, verse 15, life is not defined by what you have, even when you have a lot. Your life isn't what you have, even if you have a lot. So I want to encourage you, each and every one of you, whether you're older or younger, to look for the presence of those intangible things in your life. Relationships, friendships, love, happiness, the joy of listening to good music, reading a good book, learning a new skill, and it could go on and on, these intangible things. These are things that you can't put on a balance sheet, that you can't put on a profit and loss statement. But these are things that add meaning to your life each and every day. Some of you would re- are old enough to remember a hymn we used to sing, Count Your Blessings, Name Them One by One. Count Your Many Blessings, See What God Has Done. You know, that's a good habit for all of us to get into. Here's the lesson it teaches, and I want you to remember the lesson, not the song. What I have in God far surpasses anything I don't have in this world. What you have in God far surpasses any of the stuff that you can get in this world. Someday the stuff wears out. Here's the third thing I want you to take with you today. What you really need will come to you when you really need it. What you really need will come to you when you really need it. Do you know what I've learned along these lines? I don't always get as much as I want, but I always get as much as I need. I don't always get as much as I want, but somehow it works out that I usually get, almost always get, what I really need. You know, there have been times in my life when I've almost demanded things from God related to my health, related to my ministry, related to my family, related to my finances. And at the time, I thought I knew that this was what I really needed. And I thought I knew that this is what I really wanted. And my prayers weren't answered the way that I was expecting them to be. However, as I look back and kind of Monday morning quarterback, and and I took a look at those missed expectations in my life, I was able to see the hand of God at work. And you know what, friends? He was taking care of me. And he was providing for me the things that I needed, not the things that I greeted. You know, we all have that problem. I don't care who you are. I would have been pastoring in a church for probably about 12 years. And things had gone well. And we'd been through a building project. And it was major. And I really wasn't excited about building again. And, And I was getting a little discontent in my ministry. And I thought, oh, man, if I stay here, I'm going to have to build and we're going to have to do some stuff. And I don't know if I'm up to that. And so I prayed. I said, Lord, if you don't want me to do this, give me another church. And it was amazing. That very same week, I had a call from a district superintendent in another state 
saying, Larry, the board here would like you to come and interview to be the new lead pastor. I said, whoa, God, this is amazing. I, I went to that church, and, and when I arrived, and, and it was kind of out in the boondocks. I mean, not kind of. It was way out there. I had to fly in in a little plane, but... But when I arrived at the church, they took me out to show me the parsonage, and the parsonage was on a golf course. I love to play golf. I said, God, you are so good. <laughs> and, uh, and I went and saw the, the church itself, and it had a, a nice big sanctuary. It had a gymnasium. It had a good um, worship complex and, and education complex. And I, Everything went well, and I went home, and I thought, man, this could be it. And as I was praying, the Lord kind of spoke to me and said, Larry, you know, it's your choice. You can either go there, and I'll go with you, and I'll bless your ministry. Or you can stay right where you are, and I'll be there, and I'll bless your ministry. But Larry, I want you to look at it objectively. If you go to that church, you're going to be way out there, and there's... Potential, but if you stay where you are, there are a lot of people here. And even though you'll have to build, I'll be with you. Well, you know, it became clear to me. And it wasn't that long until the church just kind of exploded and got bigger. We were able to buy property. We were able to build a whole new plant with a sanctuary that was a lot larger than the one at that place. With a family life center and gymnasium with an educational complex, with a brand new parsonage, not on a golf course, but it was nice. But you know, sometimes we need to just slow down and get ourselves out of the way and say, God, what do you want to do? You see, we, you and I, have the privilege of being able to bring all of our cares and concerns to God. Everything. Everything to God. You can just bring anything that you so desire to God. You can ask for anything and everything. But we also have the comfort of knowing that He will filter through your prayers and He will bring about what's best for you. That's an amazing deal. That's one of the great things about serving this great shepherd. You don't have to sweat the daily details of life. God is looking out for you. What you need will come to you when you need it. You know, some people think, well, that absolves me from having to do anything. I'll just sit back and it's all going to fall into my place. No, friends. There's a difference between being shepherd-led and being spoon-fed. Saying the Lord is my shepherd doesn't mean that you can live the rest of your life in a high chair. But it does mean that you can live day to day in the confidence that God is watching out for you. And that he's going to provide for you what you need when you have it. Now, I promised you some homework. Some homework, friends. So I want you to take that little sheet of paper out and just humor me. And uh, even if you don't do anything with it, take it out. It'll just make me feel good. Just take it out. And uh, it's a very simple bit of homework. And it'll only take you about five minutes a day. And if you don't have some things that you're doing for, uh, in studying the Bible or, or so forth, this would be a, a good thing for you to do. But it'll help take the message of Psalm 23 and just kind of infiltrate it in the, the deepest area of your life. And, and just turn the outline over. And on the back, 
just write Psalm 23, verse 1. And this week, or even tomorrow or today, just write down the words, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And say that then, say this phrase every day at the beginning of your day. When you wake up, just say, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Throughout the day, whenever it comes to your mind, just say, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And then before you go to sleep at night, just while you're laying in bed and getting ready to go to sleep, just say, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I'll guarantee you, if you don't have it memorized today, you will by next week. Secondly, say thanks for the things that you have. Just put a note there, thanks. And each day for the next six days until next Sunday, write three material things that you're thankful for. How many of you right now can think of three things that you have in your life that you're glad you have? Three material things. We can all think of them, right? Exactly. For example, my car. It may not be the best, but it gets me to work. My job. It may not be the best, but it helps me pay my bills. My reclining chair, I love it. My backyard is looking good. But those are three things. Each day, think of three things that you're happy that you have. Write them on that list and say, Lord, I want to thank you that I have these things in my life. I thank you for helping me get them. Next, count your blessings. Here's what I want you to do. For the next three days, write down three, or the next week, write down each day three intangible things that you have in your life. You see, these are things, possessions that you can't buy and you can't sell. These are blessings that God has placed in your life. For example, my wife, she's a great cook. She does this and that, whatever. My daughter, ah, she has a great smile. She's a good student. My son, he mows the yard for me. He's a great guy. I love the music of Bach, Merle Haggard, whatever. It's a sunny day and surface up. Three intangible things. And each day, think of three things that God brings into your life or has brought into your life that you can't buy or sell. And then the last thing I want you to do is write down a prayer list. And on that prayer list, think of everything that you think you need. I mean, just go hog wild. Just write down everything that you think you need in your life. And then as you think them, think of them, and write them down, make them a, a matter of prayer. And here's the prayer I want you to pray. Simply this, God, I am not going to worry about this need that I think I have. I'm going to present it to you right now. And if I really need it, and it's the best thing for my life, then I'm going to trust you to take care of me and provide. If it's not, then I can live without it. It's that simple. But you have a right. Put down anything that you think you need and then turn it over to the Lord and just ask Him to help. Remember, the Lord is your shepherd. So there's no need for you to live with discontentment in your life because He's the best shepherd you could ever have. And because He's looking out for you, you can be absolutely content no matter how much or little stuff you have in your life. Will you bow your heads right now? Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you that you care for us. And even when we're out roaming around and doing dumb things and making bad choices, you never leave us. You never forsake us. You're always there for us. 
You're watching out for us because you are a good shepherd. And Lord, we have this thing about wanting this and wanting that. And, and you say it's okay. We can want it. But we need to trust you to make sure that we get whatever it is when we should get it. And so help us to just trust you and live a life of contentment. Because you are our shepherd. We won't have to want. And so we turn our lives over to you. In the all-powerful name of Jesus Christ, amen.